My guest today is Sharon Malloy, uh, and you're the founder of the Willow Community Counseling Centre. Uh, that's it. And that's in Italy. It is. Are you local to Italy? Uh, well, originally my father was from Magani. So, yeah. I was raised in the UK, as you can probably tell. Mm. Um, but I'm here about 27 years now. Okay. Yeah. It's so. funny you say that. Like, well, we're. I live in Magani, and my home place is Magani. And when I was advertising, I was having a chat, you know, the image I did with the uh, your image, my image. Yes, and yes, it, yes. Um, my, I said, that looks an awful lot like my auntie from the UK. And you even speak like her funny. Oh book. my goodness. And, but my dad didn't even hear you speak. And he said, that's very like my sister. And he sent a photo of his sister. I must show you afterwards. I, you that's know, nice. I actually put an image up for when people are looking back at it side by side. Yeah. You know? It's quite interesting because it even sound like her, which is mad. That's a bit crazy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You're under coverage out here. Exactly. <laughs> you're, so you're a Would you want to give a bit of a background of yourself briefly anyway? Yeah. So what brought you to England and what brought you... Oh, I was born in England. So okay. my dad would have moved over in the 50s, as a lot of Irish people did. Mm. I met my mother, who's English. So we were all raised in the UK. And then my parents moved back, I think, late 80s, early 90s. Okay. Maybe late 80s. And then when I had my first daughter, that was what brought me back. Okay. I mean, I would have been here the holidays, you know, my grandfather and my grandfather and all that type of thing. And then once my parents moved back, well, then I was here a lot more. And at the time, <clears throat> it was just a night... I mean, I'm not saying it isn't now, but there was a bigger... Uh, there was a bigger divide between the UK and Ireland. You know, children could be children. So it was to bring me you know, to have my children here so they could have a childhood. What do you, what do you mean there was a divide children? Well, I had some friend, I had a friend that had children the same age and we had children at the same time. And their children just grew up much quicker because, you know, they lived in a town and just, you know, like, you know, like little things, you know, like at 12, the girls would be into makeup where... When my girls were little at 12, they'd been playing in the field. Do okay, you know what I mean? Right. So, so they grew up faster in England? Yeah, definitely. Okay. definitely. And I think there was more tolerance here for children as well. Mm. You know, you'd go to Super Quinn when it was here, and everyone would chat to you, and they'd chat to your child. Yeah. Or in the UK, they'd just ignore your child. You mm. know? <laughs> so, I mean, I'm nothing against the UK. Yeah, there is <laughs> cultural differences in yeah, I mean, I don't know how, whether there's such a big difference now, I don't, I don't know. Well, it's funny you say that. I went across with um, my brother about two years ago, maybe even three now, and we were going to see a show, and when we landed there, we got a bit of food, and we said we'd go just on the outskirts of London into a pub and, you know, see what the bit of crack was there. And everyone was sitting down, and we went to the bar, and I spoke to the barman, and wasn't interested. Yeah. So either was the guy beside me. Mm. And I went to the next pub and same thing, and I thought it was so different because, like, if you're in anywhere, Carlo or Dublin or anything like that, the barman or people beside you, they're all kind of relaxed and, you yeah. know, they'll have a laugh, you know. Yeah, if, yeah, exactly. And I'm not putting it down either, just maybe it's a cultural difference. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why people always say, oh, Irish, they're so friendly. And yeah, all. Exactly. Maybe it's just the culture of Irish. Yeah, definitely. And I remember going to one of those, or what are they called, beef eater or something, restaurants in the UK, which were too child friendly, and you had your little high chair. And, you know, I mean, I wasn't being particularly loud, just being a child. 
and the dirty looks, and I'm thinking, well, this mm. is meant to be a child-friendly restaurant. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like I went to, I don't know, somewhere, you know, high-end. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so, yeah. So I came back with the forwards for a year, mm. and then we decided, yeah. Okay. Um, so, 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 to a tie. Uh, well, I, where did I move to first? Um, I lived with my parents for a while, and then we moved to Fighting Cocks, and then I moved back closer to McGain. Mm. So I'm in um, Balagoyla now. Okay, very good. Straight close by. Yeah, very, very. So yeah. tell me, why addiction? What brought you on this path? <clears throat> well, t- it was trauma first. Um, do you, know how, do you really want to know how I got into it? It's a very strange yes. story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're all good strange stories. Okay. So, when I was in London, I worked corporate, you know, I was an exec assistant, CEOs, you know, mainly hotels. And then when, you know, I had my first daughter, we decided I was going to stay home and raise them. So, that, you know, moved here and that was that, really. And then I didn't, I had no intention of doing the work I'm doing. Um, I had trained in reflexology, so I was a reflexologist, so I suppose it was about holistic aspect. And then a series of things happened to me. One, I had a very bad car accident, which um, when I went to empty the contents of the car, they were looking at me in amazement because they assumed the person had died. The crash was that bad, it was a head-on collision, I had a blowout. I had my daughter in the car actually at the same time, we were both fine. Fine. Mm. And then... Strange thing to walk away from something like that then. Yeah. And so then I just carried on. And then I got struck by lightning. <laughs> struck by lightning? <laughs> Actually got struck by lightning. Yeah. Um, I think the chances of getting struck by lightning are... What is it? Which way is it? You're, you have a better chance of winning the lotto than getting struck by lightning. Mm. Of course I had to get struck by lightning. <laughs> And a car crash. It's two yeah. pretty severe things. Yeah. And again, my daughter was with me. Um, I had her in the bath, and it was the day Princess Diana died. Uh, it was yeah. I had her in the bath. Luckily, I was outside the bath, <coughs> and I was just rinsing my hair. So I was standing over the bath, rinsing mm. my hair while she was there. And it must have hit the water pump. That's all I can think of because it travelled up the water. Wow. So I had the shower, fortunately, over my head, because Annie was obviously in the water, I was outside of that, and it just lifted me off the ground. Yeah, yeah, it was, so, a little bit dis- You survived that? I did, a little yeah. bit dis- disjointed for a couple of days, or disconnected, whatever. <laughs> and then, <clears throat> shortly after that, I'd read The Nationalist, you know, as you do, threw it, not through it, but put it down on the kitchen table, and then I happened to walk past... And the, the, there was this advert by the Red Crisis Centre in Carnot looking for people to train. And I thought, okay. You know, kind of jumped down on me. Mm-hmm. And I thought, no, I don't really want to do that. I'm like, okay, I'm listening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Car accident, struck by lightning. Okay, I'm listening. What mm-hmm. do you want me to do? And I wouldn't be a particularly religious person, but it was just... Science. Yeah, so off I went, not expecting to be accepted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was. <laughs> and this was in Carlow? Yeah, it was, at the time, Daphne Hunt, amazing, amazing woman. She had founded it herself, um, absolutely amazing. And she did the two-year training, her and Una Travers, her colleague. And it was fantastic training, I have to say. And so that was how I got into counselling initially. And then it was through my work 
in trauma that I identified the link between trauma and addiction. Okay. So then I went and trained in addiction. Mm-hmm. So that's how that I ended up where I am. <laughs> but you became the founder of your own mm-hmm. place. Yeah, I was doing some volunteering work in Athai, um, saw the great need, you know, for a service. And I think I went to Athai in about 2015. And then the people I was working with that folded, there were a few issues there. And I was left with, I think, about eight clients at the time. And I couldn't get anyone to take them on because, you know, I didn't have an organisation, I wasn't attached to anything, uh, because they had folded. So it was just kind of happened organically, I suppose. And one thing led to another. Um, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't abandon them. So I stayed working with them in a voluntary capacity. And yeah, one thing led to another. And then in 2018, we established Willow, um, and then we've, you know, we had very, very little funding. It was a challenge to get any money. As I said, a lot of it was voluntary. Mm-hmm. Um, we do get funding from the HSE. It's not enough, but we're very grateful for what we do get. Yeah. Um, we moved, recently moved to a new premises, so we have a lovely house. Uh, the Methodist Church have been very kind to us with the rent. Um, so we pay rent, but they, they have been very generous. And it's a lovely house, so we now have myself, I have another counsellor, I have a reflexologist, I have a yoga teacher. We're yeah. in the process of putting together a sensory garden that okay. we've got HSE funding for. Yeah, it's a bit of a holistic centre in itself. Absolutely, yeah. which is what I always wanted because, you know, it is about teaching, the, um, sorry, it is about working with the person as a whole. Mm-hmm. You know, one hour a week's not enough. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and you have to know them, I guess, inside out, and it's all just you're you're getting to know them. Um, like I seen, I think it was like the four C's with addiction. I think it was um, compulsion, craving, mm-hmm. and then it was consequence and then control. Yeah. And I was just trying to wrap my head around that. Maybe it's the stages, like four stages of grief. Um, yeah, absolutely. But. For me, <clears throat> I think because I came in via trauma, mm-hmm. well, the trauma is the reason. There's a reason for addiction. Addiction's the coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. Do you know? It's the, addiction is the behavior. It's not the person. Yes. It's what they do. It's not who they are. Okay. But so often, you know, their identity becomes so um, <clears throat> wrapped up in what they do mm-hmm. that, you know, you decide what is the person here. That's interesting. Tell me, you know, in terms of clients who become addicted, um, would you would you call them clients or would you call yeah, them? Yeah, clients, yeah. yeah. Um, how much of addiction is trauma? Are you talking 100%, 90%? Is there some people who are genetically disposed to it rather than their past? Yeah, I don't buy the genetically disposed argument personally, and people do. Um, but for me, you know, let's, okay, let's imagine your grandfather, and the grandfather was sexually abused as a child, and he then develops, his coping mechanism becomes alcohol. Mm-hmm. So with alcohol, he becomes very abusive. Physically, now not sexually, he then becomes physically abusive to his children. So then, you know, on another generation. So then, the way that this generation copes then is through drug use. And now, this then has an impact on their children. 
So I, I think it, it, the trauma is what's at the bottom of that. Okay. You know, yeah. And it's different ways of coping with the trauma. And no, not everyone who has suffered trauma turns to drug use, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. They find different coping mechanisms. Some are healthy. I mean, we have a workaholic, for example, well, that's seen as a positive. Yeah. But it's still a form of addiction, really. And is it a workaholic, would that be kind of like an addictive personality? Or is that something that you're kind of not too... Mm, I don't buy into that either, okay. because it's a coping mechanism. It's a coping, mm -hmm. it's a form of coping behaviour. That if they're working all the time, well, their head is probably pretty um, busy, they're pretty distracted, so then they don't have to feel. Yes. If your head is constantly busy, you're not going to feel. Mm -hmm. And it's an avoidance of emotion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Dr. Mati puts it very well. It's like, it's not why the addiction, it's why the pain. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to look underneath the addiction. Yes. Because if we, you know, if we don't, well, you know, we have the stigma, um, the person is, is judged. It just makes, for as a society, we're all impacted by addiction. And if we continue to stigmatise the person in addiction, you know, it's such a fine line because when you say, well, you know, they need compassion, and then it's, oh, you know, if you've been mugged by, by someone, well, sure, you're not probably going to feel very compassionate. I fully understand that. But at the end of the day, people in addiction, they have suffered trauma, and that isn't fully recognised, mm -hmm. in, in my opinion. Mm. And I guess is the issue when the trauma happens the intervention comes too late. You know, like a lot of people I know, I was doing an informed trauma course the start of the year for my own job, and it was dealing with people who have been through trauma and how to um, approach them in a more friendly and positive way, and to be prepared that everybody might have trauma, you don't know. Yeah. Um, so it was like, it, they say that, you know, to a degree, it's probably different, but they say, Everyone has four or five traumatic, really traumatic things in their childhood. Obviously, there's certain things like sexual abuse and physical abuse that are not everyone goes through. Yeah. Um, but is the intervention coming way too late to, to stop these people down the road from relying on substances to fill that void? Yeah, I mean, if you imagine, <clears throat> I've got a, quite a number of clients that would have started using a substance from, say, 12, some younger. On average 12. And from 12 to 16, that's when you learn to regulate your emotions. So if you regulate your emotions with the substance from 12, well then you don't learn how to self-regulate. Mm -hmm. So it, it then becomes very difficult. So what happens for the person, you know, when they, okay, so when they then have a some a stressful situation as an adult because it can feel the same they can feel threatened they go into fight or flight basically in a very simplistic form they revert back to their child self mm -hmm. so now we have a 12 year old trying to deal with a very adult situation mm -hmm. and they become frustrated and then because let's say as a child with abuse quite often they're powerless children are powerless anyway but in an abusive situation but easy victims yeah they're completely powerless so say something happens in their daily life where it feels that they may not be they're not powerless like they were when they were a child but it feels the same right so there's this yeah and they tense 
They go into fight or flight, they feel powerless, and then the way the brain works, because of the fight or flight, the thinking brain now switches off. The brain now can't tell the difference between present and past. So now there's suddenly this, this little boy. And so often, and not to generalize, but quite often with men it goes to anger. Because if they go to anger, well then they're no longer feeling powerless. And then we then create drama, chaos. So now we're getting further and further and further away from the feeling of powerlessness. Make sense? Yes, it does. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it's a protect. And obviously, I'm not, con- you know, I'm not condoning violence or aggression or anything. We can see where it develops to that stage. Yeah, yeah. but we need to understand. And just on that, then, say, what is the demographic? Have you seen? Is there? Is there more men in addiction centres? Is there more substance abuse for men because of reasons like that? You see, I think for men who have been sexually abused, it's very difficult to mm. disclose that. You know, but a lot of, uh, you know, a large percentage of men in long-term addiction, uh, yes, there is some kind of serious abuse. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so could, is it a 50-50... Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think, because I do have quite a split 50-50 with my own client base, but not everyone comes to me for addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's general mental health, but yeah, there's a high percentage of abuse. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of even when you think of homelessness, mm-hmm. the faces you see, um, maybe it seems to be, not that it matters really, but I'm just trying to make that connection from when you said, from men, where it mm-hmm. turns to anger, you know, or substance abuse. I know men, it, like, the suicide rates are yeah. astronomical. I think it's the leading cause of death between 18 yeah. or 12 and 35 year olds. Yeah. And even this week, to to 40 year old, I know, you know, not that I know personally, yeah. but through, you know, um, people. But, um, it's an awful shame because I think yeah you're right there is a stigma attached mm-hmm. to walking into one of these places yeah. and but I think I think a lot of people blame men on oh you know men you don't go to the doctor you know men they want mm-hmm. big but it's probably not great to blame the people who are the victims of either I know we, how do we change that do we restructure our, our society you know our well, I think if, if, if society could have a better understanding of addiction, yes. you know, rather than working in blame, mm-hmm. well, well, why? Mm-hmm. Why is that? Why does that person need to take a substance to to be normal, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, or to escape, or you know, um, and even with the suicide, you know, so often it's not that they want to die; they just want it to stop. Yes, you know, they have the PTSD, they have the flashbacks, you know, they they then feel. Uh, overwhelmed um, as they would have as a child, and again we have the same way the central nervous system works. So they're constantly feeling overwhelmed, mm-hmm. uh, which for a man, you know, is it, frightening. For anyone, it's frightening. But for men, well, then they tend to then um, use violence. Yeah, it is so, like, and turn into substance. What is the most common or the worst? kind of effect or which one has the worst effect? Uh, well I, I would have worked so I work with you know um, cannabis, cocaine, heroin and now we have crack um, it's spread everywhere it's in the thigh it's everywhere and a lot of the long-term heroin users I work with they tend to be more predisposed to crack and crack is a, is a very 
where they're all dangerous substances. Um, but with crack, the high is very intense and very short. Um, and a number of clients that would have been that are in long-term heroin use now are having a bigger problem with the crack than they are with the heroin. Okay. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a pretty. I think the split is quite even between male and female with the crack as well. Okay. Yeah. You, you know, one of one thing I've noticed in the last well, maybe ten years. If, if even, mm. from going out and socialising mm. is, you probably know where I'm going, this is that in every pub you go to, there seems to be um, cocaine rampant. It's everywhere. You, you go to the toilet, there's someone standing at the cubicle while his friend finished and then they swap around. And I've, I've heard my father going into a uh, publican and he said, you know what they're doing there, can you not get them out? And he says, well, if I get them out, they'll go next door, they're doing it. And it was my customers, so yeah. they can't even tackle it. And they don't want to tackle it because it's it's everybody. And it's, well, not everybody, but it's, it's, there's so many, it's so commonplace. It's very normal, I mean, so yeah. they even bats an island. And it used to be, I remember they used to call it a business drug, you know, mm -hmm. years ago, or, or not even that long ago, 15 years ago, you know, where... Yeah, no one bats an eyelid kind of thing. And mm. uh, you've heard of pubs not far away that they do it out in the counter. And again, the barman's afraid to send them off because they're going next door. Yeah, but it's so commonplace now. Yeah. And there are people that can use cocaine as, you know, people can have a glass of wine. There are people that can do that. Yes. But it tends to be the people that have very traumatic pasts or some form of trauma less likely to be able to do that. How do you tackle something so common and widespread? Or are we too late to tackle that? Mm. Have you missed the boat? Well, you'd hate to think that, wouldn't mm. you? But, uh, I don't know, uh, I would be, I would veer on the decriminalisation side, personally. Have your sentencing, have your... Yeah, because what is the point? I mean, what is it, 80, 90% of people in prison for drug use? And they, they can use drugs in, in prison. You know, the prison system is inundated. I think like the Midlands has two counsellors and it's so difficult to get counselling. It's not, I'm not saying it's the prison's fault because they only have two counsellors, you know, it's funding and everyone has the same issue. But what is the point of locking someone up when it's a drug-related issue? The drug, the drug is the coping mechanism for the trauma. Wouldn't it be better to put them in a rehab and, and help them? Yes, and it, it, there is legislation, I believe, coming in to try and gear it towards that rather than a prison, I've heard. Yeah, I think the Labour Party especially are heading that way. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think we have anything in stone as yet. There's the a lot of resistance. The problem is, as well is the, there's a national crisis of guards leaving the force. Yeah. And how do you police something that's getting more common when you're losing your policing staff? It's a scary thought. It is, it well, is. Maybe that will help, the, the fact that the sentencing will be more geared towards getting them into these centres. Like, do we have enough of these centres? No, we don't. We have one, I think, for um, young people from 15. The only one I'm aware of, Ashen Eshery, I've written some work with them. I mean, it's very good, but they have, I don't know, 12 beds, maybe? Mm -hmm. um, it was very limited. Yes. Very limited. Is that lack of fun? I would imagine it is. 
strange but whilst they're in active addiction they have the safety net of their drug of choice 
And so if they disclose to me that they were you know, raped as a child, they know that then they can go and escape from that with the parent, right? So, but the important part is we get the whole story out, right? So now we've got the whole story out and they've survived telling it. So then the next step is then they go in and they do the detox. Because what can happen is if you don't deal, you know, this is why obviously it's important to try and get someone stable before they go in and do the detox or go into rehab. Because if they, when they, so if you don't deal with the underlying problem and then they go into do their the detox, well then they've no, they've no drugs. And now they have this tsunami of emotion that they've been running from since they were 12. It's terrifying. But if they can get it all out on the table, and then they know they've survived it, they have their coping mechanism, and then, so then the next step is, then they go in and do their detox. They've no surprises, if that makes sense. They've already survived it, they know they can survive it because they've done it. There's no dragons lurking on yeah, the character. Yeah, with everything it. out. Mm-hmm. And, and the reality is they have already survived it anyway, but because of the impact of PTSD, they're constantly reliving it. Mm-hmm. And that's why the you know that's why the drug use comes in. And drug use, I guess, is coping. It's also helping forget and alleviate oh, yeah. on a slightly temporary basis the mm. feelings that that bring them down. I know I've read before that you know if you're if you're still getting emotional about something that happened more than eighteen months ago, even you need to write it down or go through it because a part of you is still stuck there. Yeah. And I guess and that's what you're saying as well. And yeah. the, the frightening thing is going back. There, oh, 100%. and but you, your four-year-old self is still there, and Terrifying. you need to go back to that and explore everything. Even think about it, the things that you don't haven't thought about in years, yeah, sir. Exactly. Because the mind's a powerful thing. I know of people who've forgotten massively traumatic things that come out mm. in therapy. Yeah. And it's like the brain was protecting them. 100%. Yeah. Have you come across much of that? Not a lot. Mm. You know, I have come across it. But if you imagine, you know, for very young children, they feel, you know, their logical brain isn't developed until, what, seven, eight years of age. So they're experiencing everything on an emotional level. Mm-hmm. So from a very young age where there's trauma, they learn feelings aren't safe. Mm-hmm. So they learn coping mechanisms from a very young age. And, you know, a child can't fight, they can't flee, so their only option is to freeze. So then that follows through then. You know that they they have not not always with women men too that their their state become their protective state becomes one of being numb, you know, um, and it's that frozen with fear, you know. And you have the procrastination then, and they they can't get going with anything, and it's because they're just in it's a nothingness. They don't feel anything. They're just you know, and that's a horrible place to be. Complicated there. Creatures, I think humans, you know, would, oh, absolutely. would you think an animal would, well, animals sure go through trauma, I guess, but the com- how complicated and detailed and um, affecting it is on humans now, yeah. it's obviously different social. Uh, oh, 100%. But, uh, you know, like, an, I, I know when you talk about, you know, we talk about the mental health side of it, mm. and which obviously affects their physical health. Yeah. So does the substance abuse, you know, obviously oh, heroin and crack. Yeah. Oh, completely. What about the spiritual health side of it? Is that anything that comes in as a factor? Or? 
Um, they have. I do have some clients who have turned to God, you mm. know, and they found out very. That's what's, what's helped them through it. You know, so I, I work with someone wherever they're at. I, you know, I'd be more spiritual than religious myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't prescribe to. Um, they cut down. <laughs> <laughs> A denomination, like you'd be even well, even spiritual, be meditation or or yeah, yeah, yeah. I work a lot with mindfulness, you know, because we have to quieten the mind. Mm. Um, you know, okay, so let's say we have someone and they've been doing well, they've been drug free for a number of weeks, and then they use, and then they the the self loathing they feel because they've used. So you know, it's really important, in a sense, it's really important to understand, especially for families, because the families are so fearful, they don't want, you know, Johnny to go back using, and now Johnny's had a slip, and, and they're so fearful. But what we have to understand, there will be slips, because they're an addiction. There will be. That's their coping mechanism from such a young age. So we have to accept the slip. You know. But this is such a fine line. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying, yeah, go knock yourself out, that's okay. But we have to, that's where the learning is. We have to understand, okay, why did you say What was going on? What were your triggers? So they're more prepared the next time. Because what tends to happen, they have a slip, they feel like a failure, then they carry on. Okay. So it's about, okay, accept you've slipped, but that you don't have to carry on. Because what, what happens, say, with cocaine, so they, they, want, they keep using because, well, they don't want to come down, obviously. But they don't want to face the fact that they've slipped. But it makes a bigger problem. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if anyone slips, it's like, well, come in and let's talk about it. I'm not going to say, oh, my God, you're a failure. It's like, okay, this is what happens. Yeah. We have to accept this is what happens. And I'm going to work on that to help you for the next time. Because there are going to be times when you're blindsided. Um, or you're going to be overwhelmed or, you know, and it's about how can you change your behaviour if you don't understand it? So if you, you know, cocaine addiction, any addiction, it's like automatic pilot. It's a reaction to avoiding emotion. So you're doing it automatically. So how can you change something if you don't understand why you're doing it? But once you ask to begin to understand your behaviour, what the drug is giving you, why you're doing it, then comes choice. Then comes choice, well, I can only do something different. Does that make sense? Yes. Mm. And it's reminding me of a celebrity who passed away last week, um, Matthew Perry, mm. from the Friends. Yeah. And I've seen a couple of his interviews that have been shared. And, yeah, he was a, a, an addict years ago, but I think he got through it. And like yeah. that, he found God helped him. But he... He said, and he was arguing with a host on TV about, he said, I'm in control for the first drink, mm. and then mm. and then I'm not. Mm. Or, and this is when he was going through it. And he was talking about it as a disease, mm-hmm. you know, it's alcoholism. Does someone ever come out with a 100%, does, ever, does someone ever 100% come out of that recovery? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, like, the, like I, I mean, are they all going to go forward? They can manage, they can cope, they find mechanisms, but the pull is always there. 
but they can now have built up coping mechanisms that they can reroute their mind to. Yeah, I mean, what okay, well, you know, what clients tell me is that once they understand their behaviour, and now let's say they have a slip and they've been working together for quite some time, they don't get this. It just it doesn't work the same way anymore because they have the awareness. They have the awareness. This isn't actually going to change anything. And so, yes, I mean, I had someone, I think he'd been drug free for about a year. He had a very conscious slip. He chose to use. He was having something very stressful. He chose to use, but he didn't carry on. And he hasn't used since. And I think we have to, you know, accept that too. But we have to have honesty. But we have to enable, allow that space for the person to be honest. Um, and you see, what can happen in families is if you have someone in addiction, well, they take up everyone's attention, the worry and everything. And now that person becomes drug-free. Well, now we've no longer got all this drama and chaos. And so now the family have to look at maybe their own issues. And unconsciously, that they can maybe want to, to return. I know they don't want to return to the drama and the chaos, but the drama and the chaos has been their normal for so long that unconsciously, they almost try and return to it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why... If you can work with the families at the same time as the person in addiction, then you really have, you can have great growth. Especially if you're a younger person still living from home. Yeah. You know, I, I see in, in my work that people who come in looking for a barren order against their son. Mm. And the son is there consenting. Mm-hmm. And sitting in between the parents mm. and would say, would sound and say, Look, I apologise, and the father might stand up and say, he's the best guy in the world mm. until he has a drink or two in him, and then he tears the house down. And he's saying, I don't understand that. And it's almost like a Jekyll and Hyde thing yeah. that he can't control, or maybe he hasn't developed the mechanisms, maybe he hasn't sought the right help. Yeah. Um, and I do worry about, you know, you're talking about you started your business in 2018, and I know COVID would have hitched mm. pretty soon after yeah. that. And mental health became a big thing then. I think there was a lot of people lost to suicide. Yeah. And I wonder if there's a lot of people who talk to addiction while they're stuck inside or oh, they're out of jobs because mm. a lot of jobs are lost. Mm. Um, and there's probably still a lot of people who are kind of new then to addiction and they're yeah. probably at home slipping, secretly slipping, yeah. you know. And I would put something to you then. You know, I um, if someone's friend of mine, maybe I'm trying to get out here, um, that someone stumbled on this podcast. I'm a highly functioning addict. My money is secretly going and cocaine and drink every weekend. Mm-hmm. I'm addicted to porn every day. Mm-hmm. I'm on a downward spiral. Mm-hmm. But they're the only things I'm getting any pleasure from. How do I escape? Well, it's looking at what is the drug fulfilling in you? What is it fulfilling in you? You have to understand why. Does that make sense? Yes. You have to understand well, what is it giving you? Uh, because the drugs are fulfilling something. And, yes, people in long-term addiction always stop giving me anything. I hate it. And they do genuinely hate it. But I do always think, but what is it giving you? What is it giving you? It's giving you something or you wouldn't be doing it. Yeah, outside of that, obviously, you have the high and everything else, but it's escape. It's escape from emotions, escape from feelings, escape from everyday life, it's escape from reality. 
because stressful situations for people who have suffered any kind of trauma are very difficult because they revert back to the child. And, you know, sometimes people say, oh my God, they're so childish. But they've reverted back to their child self. Do you see? And now we have the child trying to navigate an adult situation. And this is where the mindfulness comes in. Because if they breathe, and, you know, I mean, it used to be a running joke with a lot of my clients, oh God, here she goes with breathing. But it's science. If you breathe, the amygdala in your brain switches off. You know, so detector. You can think logically and you're no longer in fight or flight. So I would do a lot of work around breathing with clients. And they would all tell me, you know, yeah, we're doing, doing the breathing. And yeah, I cope much better this week. It's interesting you say that because, uh, you know, in the last few years, I guess it's more with social media and videos and professionals from all over the world have to share, you know, their, um, their way of doing things. Yeah. But like you talk about breathing, you talk about Wim Hof was someone mm. who was important for you, yeah, yeah. still is, so we can know what it is. And you know, a lot of people do them kind of things themselves, yeah. like they do the cold water or they do the breathing. Mm -hmm. And it really does help. Oh, 100%. Um, even for, I found, if you're wrecked tired mm -hmm. and you you know your your mind's not working right, you feel like you're you can't get enough water into you're trying to wake up the coffee's making you shaky, you know yeah. it's not. Yeah. But lying down, even if you can't sleep, and doing that breathing exercise, yeah. big inhales and out exhales and holding it, supposed to reset your whole yeah. um, nervous system. Oh no, completely. It's mm -hmm. exactly what it does. And you see people in trauma that their central nervous system is oversensitized. You know, so they're constantly being they're constantly going into fight or flight without even realizing mm -hmm. that they're doing it. But it's interesting with the, what you're saying about the ice bath, because it's an idea I'm thinking about at the moment, actually, is I'm toying with the idea of putting together a cocaine recovery group. And we're in the middle of doing the sensory garden that we were fortunate enough to get funding for. So I'm considering putting in an ice tub to, to, to do at the beginning mm -hmm. of the programme. So I'm playing around with the idea at the minute, but I've run it past a few clients and they all seem very interested in it. Because, you know, cocaine gives you the dopamine hit for 20 minutes max. And sea swimming, I can't remember, is it four hours, seven hours, or something like that? It gives you a high for that long. Yeah, like a dopamine, yeah. So I haven't had a bit, I hold my hand up, I haven't done the research yet. <laughs> but I'm assuming the ice bath is going to do something similar. Mm -hmm. You know, with the, with the length of time you're going to have this dopamine hit. Yeah. So I think it would be perfect. For people with cocaine addiction. Yeah, because even for people who, who don't have addiction, the benefits they see, mm -hmm. and you can imagine how much greater they'd be. Like I've heard that you know people say you wake up absolutely wrecked tired, but you had yeah. your few hours. If you get a cold shower, as difficult as it is, yeah, and a few electrolytes, even salt yeah. water, mm -hmm. and go out and put your bare feet in the ground absolutely. for twenty minutes. Oh, and, absolutely. And you said your whole day will change from what it could have been. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I do that a lot of grounding, I swear by it. And even we're talking about it, it's supposed to it's supposed to help with absolutely any inflammatory disease yeah. on top of you know, when I kind of it it was a couple of years ago when I first met Nick mm -hmm. and I came in to the house there and I did one one of his um, body talks. Right. Around that time, every light switch I touched sparked, you know, I was kinda of shocked off everyone. My watches, all my watches stopped at the same time. 
and I was doing a lot of work from home and computers yeah. and phone and all that and just didn't understand the idea and like, I was talking to a guy who was um, he worked for the White House for a few years he's a he was a biohacker but he was like a a biological cosmologist, I think you call himself, right? Which I never heard of. <laughs> but he was biostacking. So he was saying, if you sun gaze and you ground yourself and you do this on top of it, he was, you know, you're saying all these different things. Because yeah. even, even being on the sand is grounding, they say, you know. Yeah. Um, and I started doing it and I couldn't believe the difference. And combined with, you know, I like listening to talking to different people because you take the breathing work, you can take the grounding, mm-hmm. and I've taken the meditation from Nick here, yeah. and you, you know, when you're taking all these things in, exactly. all of a sudden, you, you know, I think the medicines that people might be on might lessen, you know, the, the pharmaceutical medicines, yeah. you know, when you say, even cocaine as a substitute, it's, it's, it's so much shorter of a high, it's just, mm-hmm. but it's so much shorter of a high than you might get from seasoning. Oh, you know, it, it's the, it's the, replacement for what we could find yeah but but you see you can't just take the drug away and put nothing in its place mm-hmm. because the person's going to become overwhelmed you know you, you know, it's a process so yes there's a lot of work that has to be done but they have to have tools to support them you see i like what you're doing with your clinic there because you're putting in them holistic tools mm-hmm that are becoming ever more important not that they weren't important but ever more obviously important Absolutely. like I've seen um, people stand up on stage take their blood before and after grounding mm-hmm. and it's all uniform after yeah. it's that they're settling and everything's running yeah. perfectly between cells um, so it's interesting to me you know that you were doing such a holistic approach and I didn't know that centered. Maybe that's a common thing, is it? Or is it yeah, not? it is. We had someone, um, it's a client actually that wants to do some fundraising. And, well, okay, there's a reason behind it, I suppose. But anyway, she wanted to do fundraising, and so she's talking to a lot of people in the thigh, and they oh, didn't even know they were there. But initially, when we started, it was primarily addiction, is what we worked in. And what was happening, we were being, so bear in mind, we were having a huge battle with funding. But everything was word of mouth, so someone, you know, Billy would say to Jack, and then Jack would get my number, he'd just ring me, it's very easy, you don't need refer, you just pick the phone up and talk to me, it's very straightforward. Um, but because of the challenges at the time we were having with funding, we couldn't advertise, because we were inundated anyway. Mm-hmm. About wow. 80% of the clients are word of mouth. So we, we could, I didn't dare advertise because I was afraid we would be inundated and we wouldn't have the funding. Um, so I can't remember what your question was. <laughs> Let me ask you, well, I asked, is it common that, mo- that a lot of centres would take an holistic approach? Okay. Uh, I think more and more and more so, actually. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like I'd refer a lot into Kandara, which is an HSC detox, excellent. And they would do a lot of uh, meditations. A lot of them, actually, to be fair, you know, they start the day with either yoga, meditation. Yeah, it would be pretty commonplace, actually. How did you end up beside or renting from the Methodist Church? Uh, the house became available, uh, and 
you know, myself and another board member, we just thought this is going to... That's the other thing we do with auricular acupuncture as well, actually. Yeah. Um, auricular acupuncture? Yeah, very good for cocaine cravings. What, what is that, as opposed to...? The ears, so it's uh, in, uh-huh. in the ears, yeah. And then we also do the craft, the community reinforcement and family therapy. So that's a 12-week programme that you do with the parents or the loved one, the partner, to help them not only understand the addiction, but the impact the addiction is having on them. It's not counselling, it's a more um, structured programme. But um, anyway, sorry, that came into my head. Mm. So, no, we, we've sourced this, this house and, yeah, we just loved it and we weren't sure if we were going to get it, and, but it's just perfect. It's just perfect. You, you answered a question that I was leaving on from for the spiritual side of things, where you said you don't you don't believe in God, but you're a spiritual person. Yeah. And I find that a lot of one step older generation, mm-hmm. there seems to be a fall off from there. And I think what I was thinking about it was that there seems to be what the Catholic Church have done to Ireland mm-hmm. and the, the scandals have created a trauma mm-hmm. with that generation. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that bit plays an effect on why you think that there wouldn't be a God? Yeah, I, I would imagine so. Um, I mean, I struggle with, with I mean, I'm a Catholic, but I struggle with how they dealt with um, you know, people who have been raped by priests, just just the whole way everything was handled was appalling, mm-hmm. appalling. And even the mother and baby homes and the, the, the cover-up, I suppose, was very, you know, whatever about holding your hand up and saying, we got rid of them, a few people, there wasn't that, there was a, a power See, the priest used to walk, from, now I don't remember this, but from what I've heard, the priest used to walk around different houses and he was the Lord Mayor, you know, oh, they, they got the good china out yeah. and the kids were hidden and told not to speak. Yeah. They were gods, they had so much control and they had mm-hmm. so much control over the education system. Yes. That, you know, their word was final. Mm-hmm. Um, and, my, and I've read on this before that my thoughts on it is that there are denominations of Catholicism, well no, Catholicism is a denomination of Christianity, let's mm-hmm. say, and that organisation has done horror, horrific things as a lot of man-made organisations can do, and I feel as like maybe people have thrown the baby out with the bath water when it comes to faith in, you know, with like when you look at some Christian doctrines, they would condemn anything like that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and mm-hmm. there's a place for people like that, you know. Yeah. Um, and I feel like the trauma of that has made people throw the whole idea of God because these people who represent or should be representing God have done the most heinous, uh, heinous yeah. things. Do you think that, that could play a part in...? I don't know, because I have another client and um, horrific abuse as a child mm-hmm. and now they haven't gone to a Catholic church, they've gone to an alternative church. But they, they found great support and solace and and, and, and have, have been able to, to forgive their abuser. So I, I don't know, I mean, I think it, it depends on the person. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because um, you do hear a lot of them stories where people have found 
Like I know a lot of people who have great faith. I have great faith. Mm. Um, but I wouldn't call myself a Catholic. Mm. And I wouldn't have it since Catholic school. Mm -hmm. I would have diverted from it and found it in my own way. Yeah. And that would mean that I do believe in a God and I kind of would have went down the evidential route of, well, something happened to me, I believe it to be mm -hmm. true. And, these signs and like you said with the car accident or whatever smaller versions of that I think they hit my light but I you know I found that even looking into the human mind and consciousness and how we you know the attempt at Big Bang and all that yeah. you know historical literature and hours of debates on both sides you know concluding that there seems to be in the beginning something and something that you can lean on and it seems like it's listening when you speak by yourself yeah. But it doesn't mean I'm sitting at the pew every weekend because no. this mumbling and stand up and sit down, I think, was rolled in by the well, it was probably the Roman Empire yeah. to control when, once they took over mm -hmm. and to control people. And I think that the scars of that still run deep with people who are alive now. Not so much my generation who, because teachers took over from the nuns and the Christian brothers. And I'm not saying all Christian brothers or all ones were abusive, yeah, but anyone who's come into contact with a school like that or has been to a school like that knows exactly it, 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 it's a yeah, unfortunately. Um, and I think that there is a lot of room still from that. And maybe there's a lot of alcoholism from that. And maybe there's a lot of anger at God but by saying, you know, I don't believe in a God, but I think maybe the scars of that run deep that people don't want to face, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, get that. I also hear that too, you know, how can there be a God when, you know, it's what I'm saying, it's been down to me, you know. Yeah, we live in a far world, you know, in a way, I, you know, in some ways I put that down to the free will we're given and the, the evil that people can choose to do. Um, you know, people, mm -hmm. people can't be forced to be good or there will be no free will, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, know? it's a difficult one, isn't it? It's a difficult one, yeah, it's a deep one too. <laughs> yeah, um, but, you know, I did, I, I, I read a study recently that, you know, they, I actually wrote it, the NYU Langdon Health said that the brain images now show that certain prayers are used, cravings in alcoholic anonymous people, okay. you know, they can scan it. Mm -hmm. And I would think that also, um, other practices would help in the same way. Um, oh, I don't know any studies on that, but like, you know, when we talk about meditation and mm -hmm. how that helps us relieve stress. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, kind of in the industrial and social media world we live in today, we've no time for, one, maybe faith in God, and two, mm -hmm. holistic practices like meditation and grounding. Um, and that we seem to be geared towards that. It's purposely done that we sit on our TV with a headache, we take a lot of paracetamol, if we have pain, we, and I'm not running down every drug because mm -hmm. it's some very effective drugs. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a pill for, for losing weight, you know, or, or surgery, you know, rather than the... Are we losing self-discipline? Does that help? You know, am I get? Is that what I'm trying to do? Yeah, and then I don't know. There's another interesting book by Bob Ashley again. You know, when the body says no, and he's of the opinion that well, if we don't deal with the emotion, it will come out in the body. 
So, you know, that's another... Yeah, and I've heard that certain organs hold emotion. I think Nick would. Yes, the liver is anger, I think, isn't it? I, I don't think, know. I think it's anger for the liver, yeah. But do you even see that, you know, when they say how music, whatever, we're for 90% water, and yeah. how different music and frequencies Absolutely. affect water? Yeah, emoto, yeah. I can't get a sound. Yes, uh, um, I, all I know is the doctor emoto. Yeah, I can't remember. Sorry, I can't remember. But he'd, I'd, he's done a lot of work on that, mm. you know, I mean, one of his studies, you know, is playing different types of classical music in these beautiful crystals. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's amazing. amazing. They're like snowflakes yeah. that come out. But then, if, you know, if you're listening to, depending on what you're listening to, that's going to have an impact. You know, I bring that into the work as well. You got to be, and what what are you saying to yourself? Mm-hmm. You know, if you're constantly being very negative. I mean, I care about people. Did a study with two plants, and um, they had. It was for, I mean, I can't remember, school children of whatever age. And they got the children to speak very positively to one plant. And then the other plant, you know, you're ugly, you're this, you're that. And neither say the ugly plant. Well, not that it was an ugly plant, sorry. <laughs> the plant that was told it was ugly, because there were two plants that were identical, um, didn't obviously thrive. And it's one, interesting, isn't it? Like, yeah. from, from words. Mm-hmm. But words obviously have a tone of vibration. And yeah. I remember even, <laughs> I, I know people have used that for for, for growing um, uh, marijuana. Mm-hmm. Like years ago, I remember being at Foss, and there was a guy who, who grew his own marijuana, mm-hmm. you know, and he had a shed. And before he left for the weekend to go and go training mm-hmm. uh, for his work week, he leaves the radio player on classical music, and this yeah. is about 20 years ago or 15 years ago. And uh, what's that? I don't believe the, the difference. There's a horse trainer that does that as well. As well? There's a horse trainer. Is there? Yeah, yeah I can't think yeah, of Yeah, they say cows and they produce more milk. Yeah, and he plays classical music in stables. Yeah. Um, I can't remember which trainer it is. You, you know, you wonder, you know, I, I think there's a guy, Andrew Hoodman, I might have got that wrong as well, yeah. but he's trying to list out. The best morning routines, and I think we've gone through a few of them here. Like if you, on a Saturday, if you woke up a bit under the weather, mm. you know, about maybe the cold shower and the breathing work. Yeah. Maybe the breathing work straight away. Yeah. Maybe the cold shower then, mm. and maybe the bit of salt water and the the grounding. Absolutely. While listening to classical music, yeah. you know, you'd wonder doing that for your first hour of every day. Mm-hmm. How much different people would be, you know? Would longevity be effective? You know, because stress is a massive parallel. Oh, huge. You know? Yeah, I mean, I find even myself, you know, I play different types of music depending on my mood. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. some mornings I have classical, some mornings I have something, you know, a bit more upbeat, whatever. Um, but I think, it, yeah, I think music can be very powerful. Yeah. You know? And even, you know, obviously music can go hand in hand with some drugs too. So, you know, people that are in recovery are very careful what they listen to. Because if they listen to, say, say techno, and I have you know, nothing against techno, but if techno was the music they listened to with their drug of choice, let's say, so there's an association, mm-hmm. well, then if they listen to techno, the body's nearly expecting the drug, you see what I mean? Yes. Um, so that can be a huge trigger. Yeah. I mean, the senses can be huge triggers. Um, even, you know, if someone maybe was abused um, at the beginning of the summer, so then when 
you know, how the smell changed or spring, or you know how the different seasons have different smells, and those smells can be very triggering. Yeah. Um, for PTSD. And uh, you know, I think we're trying to do that here as well uh, with the holistic approach mm-hmm. to the wellness. And I think you know, I think Nick does great work with, oh, with, with all the different herbs yeah. and stuff. I can't pronounce. Never heard of them. <laughs> Same. Yeah, but but um, but I'd much rather take that. Yeah. You know, um, and even the, the few practices, like even I don't know, I'm saying personal trainer here, but even as that mm-hmm. part of that would be grounding and meditating as part of a session, you know. And I think that, you know it's good that there there is the likes of here to do that and the addiction centres that do that. I didn't know that necessarily. You know, I knew there was different mm-hmm. types of but. What's very interesting is where you're incorporating the breathing work and the, even the thinking about the cold water, the acupuncture, yeah. um, the yoga, the, the meditation. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, and even, like you said, called metamorphosis as well. And sometimes, you know, a client will walk in and, and you just know they're, they're just not. They're so distressed that they're really not going to get anywhere. <laughs> so. I say, okay, we'll try, we'll try something different. And the metamorphosis can be very relaxing. And then as they relax, then they start to talk. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I've done that, they've felt a lot freer that they've said things that they've been wanting to say for a long time. Um, it's whatever happened within the, within the process. I think it's just once they start to relax and they feel safe, I mean, you have to feel safe, obviously. Um, yeah. Any recent inspiring stories that kind of stick out in your mind to people who've really come from a low place? Yeah, someone I saw today actually, she's doing absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, long, long term, long history of, of drug use. Again, horrific, horrific abuse from a very, very young age. And she's now in two years drug free. Wow, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And the stuff, the, the, the stories like that empower you to, to keep going with your life. Would you say that this is your life purpose? Or would you even would you even would not think that deeply on it? Or would you think that this is something that you're good at, that you're the talent in and you really enjoy doing? Yeah, I mean I you know I've worked in corporate, you know, I've done a bit, I had a different life. Uh yeah, when I was doing that there were a good few days I was dreading you know, dreading going to work, but oh God, here we go again. No, I, 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 I do. I love it. I love what I do. It doesn't feel like work at all. Mm. Um, my, my, my board of directors tell me it's my vocation. Maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> your, your vocation? My vocation. Oh, your vocation. Yeah. That's, um, but uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy the work. Um, yeah, and it's interesting even to... I know you're... you're there's a documentary coming out. Like, it came out last week. I haven't got to see it yet, though. It was about NDEs or near-death experiences. Okay. And, you know, this is the type of thing where people believe, you know, they might clinically die on the table yes, and come yeah. back and mm-hmm. their brain structure is altered or they're in a different frame of mind. And mm-hmm. um, they often talk about, you know, you hear this common thing of a life review scenario that they yes. believe they went through. And the question comes, um, what did you do for your fellow man when you're on earth? And it makes me think, lately, you know, is that the purpose if you're religiously inclined? Is that your main purpose? Is that all our main purposes? To get up in the morning and think, 
what can we do to make someone else's life a bit better collectively? Oh, nice, yeah, but it seems as though that's exactly what you're doing, as opposed to and not running down any human who's trying, you know, throwing bricks up, bricks up on a wall or anything like that. But what I mean is that I think here's an idea that we can all do an expedient job, but I think that we all have the maybe the genetic, maybe it's talents, maybe it's interests to help others. Like some people want to be ambulance drivers. Yeah. Some people really want to be firemen. Some people want to be surgeons. And some people who can't stand blood. Yeah. But there's people who want to do these tough jobs mm. with with tough scenarios. And mm. um, we've enough people, well, in general, mm -hmm. that can fill them roles. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to me, you know, if we were to think of humans as animals, we'd all be kind of predisposed to just getting our few, you know, a bit of food and, and yeah. getting our security and building our walls. But there is people, like I think that everyone has that purpose if they, and they say there's two sides of the brain. One is all logic and yeah. one is two hemispheres, I think they call it. Yeah. And one is your artistic, your creative, um, your spiritual end of it. And when we, I think today's society has us all living in the left logical side, mm -hmm. a lot of us. Mm -hmm. um, but when we dive into their talents on the other side and what we really want to be doing with our life, yeah. we can live in the middle. And some people maybe are lost if they go too far to the right, you know. Yeah. And I think that if we were to, if we didn't have to go to work and we weren't so busy all the time and we're addicted to being busy, I think I am as well. Yeah, know? but if you're busy, you're not present, you're not feeling, yes. you're distracted from yes, yourself. Yes, that's exactly, you're distracted mm -hmm. and you never really figure out, I think that, you know, I've spent a few years being distracted and not knowing what I want to do to, or what I could do to help others, mm. you know, like you could have stayed in the corporate world and yeah. being distracted and being stressed but maybe making good money yeah. but, and that's the way we go until we burn out. Mm -hmm. But you did pull back from that and mm -hmm. you you followed, maybe it was a calling, but maybe it was just something that... Oh, I was very you, resistant now. Yeah, <laughs> <very> resistant, yeah. <laughs> but you got a few signs about like, you know, get out of that car, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you'd said to me, I was in my 20s, I'd be doing this, I would have said that, mm. not I hope. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting isn't it? And not because I think there's anything wrong with it, yeah. I just, I don't know, it's quite, I would have thought of it maybe then as being a very challenging job, I don't know, but I, I, I didn't, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have seen that I'd be doing this now. Yeah. Um, well, I didn't have on my life path at the time, yeah. But, but yeah, it must have been somewhere the fact that I had started going with the reflexology, I started going down the holistic route, so maybe it was there. Anyone in your lineage who would have been doing, helping others in a holistic way, or, you know, parents, aunties, grandparents? Uh, my grandmother was with the Red Cross. Was she? Yeah, she was with the Red Cross. Um, that's, and then I had another aunt, she was, um, she worked in the hospital, she was like, um, uh, a car, I think, yeah. So, yeah, other than that, no. It's interesting that it's developing as well and bringing in more more things to to your community centre as well. Mm -hmm. So, when you launched with 
with COVID on the, that was even a real hit. Well, you see, I had I had already, I suppose, established myself because I was there from 2015. Yeah. So people knew who I was at this point. So I would have had quite a large client base. But it was mainly, I think, it, I think my board worked down, I don't know, it was like crazy. Like 70,000 or whatever, fully counseling hours. Um, so clearly there was a need. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose it had grown so organically that I, not that I wanted to leave, but it was like, well, what are you doing now? Yeah. So it, it was a very organic process. Yeah. And yeah. then Willow just kind of grew from there, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Seems like it naturally grew. Yeah, you, like you said, you wouldn't have to advertise in that regard. No, and I never set out to do this. Yeah. I mean, you know, to run the centre and everything, I was just going to do a bit of, of counselling here and there. <laughs> To raise my children, but now fully grown, um, and yeah, it's, it's just been a very organic process, really. I want to just pull you back to something for a moment. You talking about the car and the electricity mm-hmm. things. Um, in your mind, is it pure coincidence that you walk the other car? What's it down to that people are stoned that you walked away and your daughter? I mean, it's, oh, no, I'm not trying to answer the question, but it was just the state of the car. Is what do you mean? Yeah. So, in, do you think to do you walk away without being harmed from that? Yeah, completely. Mm. And do you think that's just poor chance? No, sorry. I don't actually. No, I don't. Someone was looking after me. Don't yeah. know but no, I do believe there's something greater than, than myself. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, begs the question, you know, did you have more work to do here? And, you know, the likes of the person you met today, whose their life has changed mm-hmm. through your community centre? I think I had, to be honest, I think I had more work to do on myself initially. Yeah. Um, and that was the, the great thing with the with Daphne and the Rape Crisis Centre the first year. It was purely, well, not purely, but primarily personal mm-hmm. development and working on yourself, you know, and I, had I had, no, I'd never had counselling or anything prior to the car accident, um, and then, yeah. So you knew where trauma really came from before you even went into addiction, into so, yeah. the, like you, you understood the depths of trauma yeah. through that before you went into the um, addiction. Oh, completely, yeah. Because it was, it was just so, it was just such a natural step because there was so much trauma, the, the trauma was leading to the addiction that they went hand in hand. It's interesting you seeing, you know, working on yourself before you could do that. Mm. I've heard that, you know, they say that the best way to fix society is to work on yourself and expand that. Mm. So to work on your house, get your affairs in order, yeah. get, get your, your life. You know, because we shouldn't, you know, people throwing stones from glass houses, this kind of idea, get your house in order before you yeah. criticise the world, is, 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 a, is, a, is a saying, um, and then we can walk outwards. Yeah, oh, I think, well for myself, you know, I mean, the more work I, I do on myself, the better therapist I am. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, 100%. So you need to take that time, do you, do you set aside that time for yourself to do your meditation or to do mm-hmm. your routines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would have been, you know, obviously you have to do therapy as part of your training, 
Um, but then I would have gone back into therapy, you know. As, um, I suppose as things come up inside you, you either work through them or you avoid them. But how can I avoid them? And then expect someone else to work through them with me. And I don't know, I kind of believe that I can only take someone as far as I've been myself. So if I don't know myself, how can I work with anybody? Does that push you to challenge yourself on any adverse situations that come up in your life because you want to get through it so you can help others do the same? Do you see it as it? Mm, no, I, I see it's for myself primarily because, you know, if I know me, well, it's going to make my life easier moving forward. And then, absolutely, as with the imp, it does impact my work. Mm. But I, I suppose, you know, the better you know, ourselves, the easier our life is, really, I think. Yeah, that's interesting. Now look, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you very you. much. I have gotten quite cold in here, I've noticed. No, I'm not too bad, You're actually. not too bad, are you? It's a bad day for winter. I should get my cold therapy in here in the corner. It's going to be a better person after this podcast. And I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, thanks very much for coming on. And thanks, I, I think what's happened there is great. And I must feel it and take a look. Ah, oh, please do. Yeah, sure, yeah, because I know um, it's surprising that when we came here for the open day and my mother was here and she was like, I know, Sharon, you know, yeah, so it's exactly. fast, you know. Yeah. So yeah, we will do that. Oh, I love, love it, though, because we did have um, Ivana Bakic came down and we had a great time and she met clients and oh, it was great now to be fair. Yeah. And it really gave her an understanding of the work that we're doing. Mm. Yeah. So please come and visit us. Oh, really? <laughs> Great. Okay. Thanks, Anthony.